All right, well, let's go ahead and jump into our word. And really today is a preparation for the Lord's table. We'll continue on in this line upon line expose kind of sermon in Hebrews where we've been. But really, um, in just a short while, we're going to be partaking of the Lord's table together. And even now, we're going to be preparing ourselves and preparing our hearts for taking communion together. Let's go ahead and go back to Hebrews chapter 12. And we really didn't get much further than verse 1 last week as we talked about perseverance and hupomino. And really this passage just keeps on talking about it and it goes into a little bit more depth on it. But let's read it again starting at verse number one, and we're going to read down to verse number five in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And we'll pause there for a moment. Lord, we just thank you for your word today, God. And Lord, I just pray that your word would just come and just... Pierce our hearts, dividing soul and spirit, bone and marrow, having your way in our lives, Lord. And Jesus, we just give you all the glory in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We've been on for some weeks now talking about the walk of faith, how the righteous shall live by faith and not by sight. Here we get into this passage last week and we begin to dive in into Hebrews 12 and understanding a little bit more of the practical aspect of what it looks like to to walk in faith and that walking in faith is not the sort of floating on a cloud and just sort of everything is just sort of going right along and Struggles have vanished. I'll never forget the time, and it was years ago in China, one of our precious first people we led to the Lord in in China in those early, early years, and he gave his life to the Lord, and about six months or a year later, he walks up to me, and he says, hey, pastor, he says, you know, when when I, when I got led to the Lord the first time, and he was in UK for a period of time, he said, um, you know, the reason I, I fell away is because somebody told me that after I give my heart to Christ that everything was going to be easy. <laughs> and I looked back at him and I said, somebody lied to you. <laughs> somebody say amen. <laughs> but we see in Hebrews chapter 12, we begin to see the need for endurance, the need for perseverance, the need for that, that, that funny sounding but very special word, hupomino, that we're going to continue to see in a few different places here today, talking about running the race of faith, running this, this long-term race of faith, not this little hundred-yard sprint that we can sort of come out the blocks as hard as we can and find ourselves a hundred meters later, you know, exhausted, deep breathing, and just ready and unable to run any further. 
But we're talking about this race that's going to go for miles and miles. And whether you want to think of a marathon or in today's world and athletes, it's ultra marathons now, right? Marathon is a thing of the past. You're a wimp if all you do is run a marathon. You got to run an ultra. You got to, I'm sure there's an ultra ultra by now. There's probably ultra triathlons. Help us, Lord. And then we came to last week ending with the way that we run and we endure and persevere is that we have to lighten the load. Look to the person next to you and say, lighten the load. You try to run this race with a, with a backpack filled with hundreds of pounds of load on your back of, of sin in burden, in depression, and sadness, and in defeat, and all these things which tend to fill up the backpack so that we're, we're out there running and we're not just carrying ourselves, but we're carrying these burdens from what we have perceived as years of failure, what we have perceived as years of just of falling and stumbling, falling into temptation, And instead of doing what the Word of God teaches us to confess your sin, and He is faithful and just to forgive you, instead, the the next time we fall into temptation, the next time we fail, the next time we did anything, we just took that thing and we put it in the backpack. And we start carrying that thing with us. Even if we're not actively living in it, still sometimes just carrying it with us is burdening us down. A lot of us need a, we just need a reset. We need to just just cut the bottom out of that backpack. Let those items that that we've put into that backpack, let them just be shed along the road and along the wayside so that we can begin to run once again this race, but to run it light. Not grasping either the things of our failures of the past, or even the things of this life. We go into James in chapter 1, and then we're going to jump into James chapter 5, and we see this, we see this word hupomino continuing to, to jump out at us in the book of James, going from Hebrews 11 to 12, and now to James 1 and to James 5. All the same word talking about perseverance. And endurance, but today we're going to begin to talk and put a little bit more emphasis on the finished work of perseverance. How you can actually run this race where Paul has said the famous thing, I have I have finished my life, I have run my race. We have this race of life that we can run and we can run it successfully with the help of Jesus, with the power of the Holy Spirit. James 1 4 says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Man, that is a strong word into our lives. That you can be complete, lacking, no good thing that you need for this race that's ahead of us. And James says that the way that this comes to pass in our life is through hupomino, through this perseverance of letting the work have its way and finishing in our life. James goes on to chapter 5 and verse 11. Chapter 5, verse 11. It says, as you know, hold on to your, your seats for this one. It's awesome, but man, it's weird. We considered blessed those who have persevered. We considered blessed those who have persevered. That you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Everybody say, finally brought about. You want some motivation for perseverance apart from obvious the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Word of God working in our life. Well, we have the motivation of what God finally 
does in the end of it all. Now, the thing about James saying that we consider them blessed who have persevered goes back to the, the, one of the points we made last week is that the whole point of perseverance is the need for it. The need for perseverance is the reality that you're facing something difficult. You're facing something hard. The road is not just smooth and easy and the feeling's all wonderful. Amen. <laughs> the need for it is the difficult part of it. If we had to persevere through the most wonderful snowballs and ice creams and carrot cakes, I have no idea how I came up with those three things. Those are just the first three. I must have had a cake that was a carrot cake recently and snowball, and I always want ice cream. It's easy to persevere for me to persevere through a snowball. Anybody amen that one? It's easy to persevere through a nice big bowl of mint chocolate chip. I mean, I can persevere through one bowl. I can persevere through two bowls. And if I'm feeling really good about myself and maybe even got a workout in that day, I might persevere through three bowls. Without any problem. But James isn't talking about ice cream or snowballs or wonderful feelings. He's saying we consider them blessed who have persevered. Those of us who have pushed through loss and tragedy and disappointment and letdown and falling into temptation and not kicking our, our vices as quickly as we should and, and people letting us down, people hurting us, the people who push through and they get to the other side of these need and times of perseverance, the apostle James says, those we consider blessed. Amen. There is no way to get around the need for perseverance in our journey towards maturity in Christ. If you're going to mature and grow in the things of God, you're going to grow in the face of adversity. Job's hupomino, as James tells us right here, to remember in verse number 11 in James 5 again, you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. When you look up Job's hupomino, and yes, it is still the same word, the same word as Hebrews in chapter 12 is the same word as referring to when it said that Jesus endured the cross. Jesus hupominoed the cross. And it's referring Job pushing through his challenges as the same as example that Jesus set for us in pushing through his to remain and tarry, to not recede or flee as it pertains to Job as another one specifically to Job's perseverance, where it says to, to persevere under and through misfortunes and trials when things just don't go your way. And I find that things don't go the way that we would hope that they would go more often than they actually go the way that we planned them exactly to go. I mean, that's just for me, and that, I don't, that's not a theological statement. That's a personal observation statement there. That oftentimes we put our exact plan in place, and, and they, just don't, they just don't seem to work out that way. To hold fast, though, in spite of whether it's a misfortune like Job or a trial, to hold fast to one's faith in Christ, to endure and bear bravely and calmly. And then it goes on at the end to say, what the Lord finally brought 
about in Job's life. How God, in the end, always turns it completely around for our good. For the good of those who we know the scripture, who love him and who are called according to his purpose. In Hebrews chapter 12, now let's go back. And we're just line upon line for these last few weeks. Taking it slow and just getting this word good deep down in our hearts. In verse number two, it gives us an instruction in verse number two. We flew by the instruction last week, but let's dig into it for a few minutes this week. It's a key instruction in, in persevering and enduring and hupominoing through the different trials. In verse two, it says, looking unto Jesus. Look at the person next to you and say, looking unto Jesus. I mean, this is the key. We could pause here and we could say it a thousand different ways. And, but the reality is that when our eyes get off of Jesus and they get onto anything else, that's when discouragement and quitting and just overall fatigue begins to settle into our lives. Looking unto Jesus, the author in the finisher of our faith. We are on the topic of faith, and not often do we put Jesus in this topic as pertaining to he walked out and is the perfecter of faith. Jesus. We think of oftentimes, we think of Abraham, and we've taught already a couple weeks on Abraham. But Jesus said before Abraham was, before Abraham was, we need more than two people that know the answer to that one. Before Abraham was, I am. So as great as Abraham was in being this man of faith and, and Sarai who became Sarah, the mother of promise, as great as they were at, at faith and believing God, Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. Jesus came to this earth and he put aside his deity. And he came as, as a full man. Meaning that he had to walk out, he had to be victorious in the same way that we are victorious. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was water baptized like we water baptize today. He used the word of God like we need to be a people of the word and using the word. Not using the word, but using the word. Yeah. Sometimes we just want to use it, kind of like you use and abuse it. Just use it for our our good, pull it out when we need to. No, use it all the time. Let it be the guiding light, source and strength of our life. Keeping our eyes on Jesus keeps us from becoming discouraged and defeated. Here is a, a bit out on the edge, and let's see how it, how it can be received, but, but I, I, I believe... That if we are effectively keeping our eyes upon Christ, doing all the things that would require to be done to do to keep our eyes on him, that I believe it's a safe statement to say that, that burnout, quitting, being just overall discouraged at whatever we're facing, as serious as it may be, that by keeping our eyes upon Christ that we will not become discouraged and quit in this journey of faith. So many times we think, thank you for that, sister, I appreciate it. And, and David, two people kind of gave me a little encouragement there. I know, I don't, my, my style of preaching is like, oh, come on, can somebody give me an amen? I don't, you know, I know I don't really provide the opportunity much. Maybe I'll, I'll pause can somebody say amen this morning? Amen. Can somebody other than Becky Lynn say amen this morning? Amen. All right. 
She's, she's going to outdo you, though. You keep it, keep it coming, keep it coming. Being filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Where does joy come from? When it says that for the joy that was set before him. Let's not make it, let's not put Jesus in a separate category today. Somebody say amen. amen. No, let's put Jesus in the same category as each one of us have to walk out our faith. Looking unto Jesus, the word of God is turning our attention to Jesus because he had to do it as a faithful high priest, as just a faithful leader, a faithful pastor. Even if the word high priest doesn't resonate within you as something special or unique, he was a a man of God that walked it out. And now the Bible's saying, look at how he did it. It's, it's not a whole lot different, even though he's the, our savior and our perfecter. But if we've got a father or a father figure or a pastor or a leader or somebody in our life that, that we've looked up to because, man, they've walked with the Lord. They serve the Lord. And, and like Paul says, follow me as I follow the Lord. The Bible is saying, look to Jesus. If you're going to look at anybody, don't just look at him as our savior, Don't just look at him as one whose blood washes away our sins and and gives us eternal life. But it's saying, in addition to that, look at him as one who has actually persevered through life, believing God, being filled with the joy of the Lord, and did this thing successfully. Sometimes we just, we categorize, okay, Jesus is our Savior. We look to him just for salvation, and yes, Yes, absolutely. But he walked. He walked. He walked on this ground. The dirt of this earth got up in his toes. Under his toenails, the grime. When he embraced people and hugged people and had to push through the hostility. We have to push through hostility. We have to push through, you know, different encounters in our life that are hostile towards us. Sometimes it's because of our faith. Sometimes it's just because of our circumstances and where we find ourselves. Jesus pushed through hostility. And the Bible's telling us, look unto the Lord. If, if we're going to be a people who hupomino. And persevere in faith. We're going to be a people who keep our eyes, which then translates into our hearts, being filled with Christ. Despising the shame as as it says that Jesus did. And it kind of the meaning kind of slightly different than how the, the initial connotation of the despising the shame. When it says that, Jesus despised the shame, talking about the shame of the hostility that he had to face, the, the, the ridicule that he had to face, the being put in front of Pilate, etc. We know the story. But despising the shame simply means this. He did not give it mind. Now, I want to pause there for a second because one of our, one of our greatest... Oh, somebody said, Amen. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll throw something at you. I'm going to throw something at you. One of our stumbling blocks, I hate to say biggest or smallest or whatever, but it is, it is a stumbling block for many of us many times, is the replay. It's the replay of what people have said to you. It's the replay of what people have done to you. It's the replay of the, the unfortunate things that you've had to face in your life. It's that replay that just keeps on going over and over and over again in our head. And, and inevitably, the more we replay it, the more we just sort of bring it to remembrance. We already said last week, if they had recalled the place where they had come from, they would have had opportunity to return. And so Philippians, forgetting those things which are behind, but pressing towards the goal in Christ Jesus. Despising the shame is not giving the replay the time or the effort that it's not even worthy of in your life. 
We're letting those replays go. It's funny, and, and you know, and I, I, I feel sorry for y'all in advance as deer hunting season is soon upon us. As the illustrations start to come, I apologize in advance. You know, Lynette, I'm sorry. <laughs> you can throw something at me any day. You just throw it at me. Going to make you a big deer steak here soon. Not Bambi. Bambi's not legal. <laughs> I'm going. I'm just letting that. I'm just letting that settle in. There's the replay, of course, in today's modern times, and everything's tried to be filmed. But I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough what I do in the woods or on the water to try to film everything. As you know, I just try to stay above water, <laughs> and I try to keep myself from like you know shooting my toe. But there's that replay. Everything happens, and you got that replay. And you're trying to remember. There's some things in life where you, you want to remember. You want to remember some of, these, some of these precious moments in life. You want to remember some things in life. as a, They end up becoming a source of motivation for you. They end up becoming a source of encouragement. You want to remember that day you were saved, right? You want to remember that person that you were, not in the sense of that person just replaying in your life and feeling that you're still that person or a failure because of what you did before. But you want to remember the work of Christ in your life. But when it said Jesus despised the shame, it says that he did not even, when somebody threw, they, they threw their hostilities at him or they arrested him or said evil things about him, well, you just cast out, you're just healing the sick because you're doing it by the power of Beelzebub. Calling him a devil? Not only have you not shed your blood, yet the majority, if not all of us, but, but probably most of, if not many of us, have not yet been called a devil. I was called, David's been called a devil. Good. I, in the Philippines, in the Philippines, they, I can't say what they call us over there. Not them as a whole, but the, them that called them that to us. The, the, um, the white, the beepity white devil. Many of us have, we don't have to walk through a lot of that. But Jesus said, you know what? It's not even worth the time to recall that in my mind. Not even worth the, the energy that it takes to remember these things that have been said about me. And it says that he despised the shame. And we're still in verse 2. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Then verse 3 goes again. Picks up where verse 2 left off. Looking unto Jesus. And verse 3 says, consider him. Consider him. Consider that Jesus finished his work of perseverance. So that each one of us as men and women of God, we can finish our work of perseverance. Now, somebody say amen. amen. All right. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Eyes fixed on heaven. Eyes filled with Jesus. Jesus walked out faith. Through perseverance, being fueled by the joy of the Lord, of his returning to his heavenly abode. Even Jesus, even Jesus, as much as Jesus loved us, he demonstrated that by coming down from his heavenly throne and he came and walked among us. But make no mistake about it. It was about the joy of returning. It was the joy even for Jesus. Look at it. The finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. What joy? It was the joy of returning to that heavenly place. Even Jesus was like, man, I, I want to go home. Even Jesus wanted to be clothed. He wanted to return to that, that place of being exalted, that place of being worshipped. We want to come to that place where we can now worship him and exalt him 
for eternity, but, but make no mistake about it, the, the Holy Spirit that filled Jesus without measure made and brought him constantly to the place of longing for that day to be once again clothed with eternity. Jesus' life was an example of faith. You know, Charles Price and another good book, if you like taking notes every now and then for some challenging books. Normally when I say good book, I normally mean challenging book. Most of the time they're going to be with the Lord, the authors. But he has a challenging, a challenging statement in his book, The Real Faith. And in recent renditions of this book, it's now been entitled The Real Faith for Healing. But he writes in this, in one of the chapters, he says, In our blindness, we have taken faith out of the spiritual and put it into the metaphysical realm. Our emotions and desires have driven faith from the heart into the mind. And when it's talking about metaphysical, and obviously there's in today's technological world, there's more of these meta worlds. But it's talking about this, this abstract theory with no real basis in reality. And we talked about how at times that at times that our, our minds can actually they can deceive us. I mean, we're still walking this thing out. And even with Jesus, and, and keep in mind when with Jesus in this example, it was a quick correction. It never, it never went into the realm of sin because he was perfect. But in Luke twenty two forty two, 42, he said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. I mean, Jesus finally caught vision of what he was going to walking through he knew it as he as he grew in his walk with God and he knew from an early age that who his father was his heavenly father was and as he grew into his purpose for life became more and more aware of what he was going to have to endure as he grew into the knowledge of scripture remember as a young Jewish boy Jesus was all up in that scripture in the Pentateuch and can you imagine being raised up in your, your mama and your daddy's house, and he's the author of it, and sitting there having to be there and studying it. <laughs> it, was, it was a beautiful thing. And all of a sudden, having this reality of the, the harshness and the hostility that he was going to have to endure, he prayed a prayer that was, that was we can we can very cautiously say came from his own fleshly desire. He didn't pray it in the sense of out of rebellion or in sin, but he said, Father, hey, if it's your will, and if you can take this from me, <laughs> it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. But he very quickly, we know the, the second part of that verse where he said, nevertheless. Everybody say, Nevertheless. That is so important. That word right there. Nevertheless, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, let your will be done in my life. There was no faith for Christ to have that cup removed from his life because the cup was the purpose of his life. You can't have faith for something. And remembering the source of faith, faith comes from Jesus. You can't have faith for something that's, that's contradicting the plan of God for your life. No matter how difficult it is, the need for perseverance is persevering itself. The reason for it. 
If we pray a prayer the size of a mustard seed, as the word said and we taught on a couple weeks ago, that can move mountains. The prayer of faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. And the prayer that we prayed is not answered. Or the mountains aren't being moved. The results are not what we prayed for. That's when perseverance has to have its perfect work and we have to prayerfully in perseverance, go back and look at the thing in which we prayed. Jesus prayed, and Jesus does it on the drop of a dime, just boom, boom. He finds his way in faith. I hazard to say that that, that pause, which was a millisecond in what it took me to read that scripture, Father, if it's your will, remove this cup. Nevertheless, Let your will be done. That nevertheless right there is someplace where we have to persevere through for days and weeks and months trying to come to that place of, but Father, if it's your will, let your will be done in my life. The prayer of faith It not just being that of the mind. Or how would Matthew 4.10, when Jesus said to him finally, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. But for those 40 days before, it was 40 days of Hupominoing in the power of the Holy Spirit, enduring by the word of God, not being moved. When we are weak, we are strong, but more accurately said, when we are weak and we have come to the place that we know that we are weak, then he becomes strong in our life. The angels come to minister to the people of God as the angel came to minister to Christ. Being full of the Holy Spirit, having the word of God, walking this out as a a human, as a man, looking to Jesus and how he did it. What would Jesus do? The same way in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says... My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Weakness is oftentimes the, the hindsight. It's kind of the it's kind of into the journey of perseverance. Oftentimes at the beginning of of believing God and and having faith and beginning this journey and walking through it, at the beginning we're often, man, we're just hooping and hollering and dancing and twirling and jumping and hopping and eating ice cream, mint chocolate chip. But when does does weakness actually set in? Well, Well, weakness sets in along the journey. Of having to persevere. Strength in a, in a long distance runner or, or any athlete or any, for that matter, any of us getting up every day and having to go to work at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock or like 3 o'clock for Gary. <laughs> 3.30, and Lance is right behind you. He's like 5.30. Then Corey's like 6 or something. Oh, Lord. You know, at these middle of the morning hours for these guys, I mean, they're probably, you know, full of strength at that 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m. Man, you start to get to 
12 and 1 and 2 and 3 and, and then get, come look at Gary on a group night at about, you know, 6.30 after being up from 3.30, you know, and all of a sudden you start to see physical fatigue in the same way that we begin to see spiritual fatigue as we walking down this road. Now, again, we've already said that, that by looking to Jesus and being filled with the strength of the joy of the Lord, that you don't ever have to come to the place of, of discouragement or quitting. But it's a reality that you will become fatigued in this journey. And that's where Corinthians comes in. And it says, oh, fatigue is okay. It's actually expected. We welcome being whipped at the end of a day because that means we did something. We worked in the yard. We worked at our jobs. We, we worked in our homes. We tried our best to corral the, the, the cats, I mean the kids, the lambs, the goats, the chickens. But we welcome fatigue at the end of it because we're like, I put my hand to something today. I put my heart to something today. It's the same as we're journeying this journey with Christ. Fatigue and weakness is not a bad thing. It means that you're fighting the fight. It means that you're running the race. It means that you're walking the walk. Yes, you're going to be some days a little bit more spiritually fatigued than others. In my weakness, in your weakness, he is strong. We're walking out this faith walk. We're understanding. We're, we're, we're getting to, we're getting it and making it more applicable in the everyday real world, not some fake metaphysical world, but what it means to have real faith and not becoming so weary that we interpret it as, well, I'm just failing and I'm just not doing good enough. And then we get discouraged and then we start kicking ourselves, And then we're like, well, then I'm not, I'm not coming to church. I'm not going to be around the people of God. I'm, I'm just, matter of fact, I'm just going to kind of walk my own walk away from Jesus for a moment. We spend so much of our day just waiting for faith, for when we're believing God for something in faith. We're waiting for Jesus just to, just to kind of walk by. So much of, so much of walking and, and living in faith, especially when we're believing God for something, something significant in our, in our life. We're believing God for something that's, that's life-changing, whether it's a miracle of healing or provision. Oftentimes, and instead of trying to, to make that thing happen, I'm just going to believe. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe it into happening. We don't have time today, but with Charles Price and that challenging statement that he makes, he he begins. He goes on to say how how believing and having faith are actually two different things. It's two different things. And it's the man that sat on side the road, that blind man that just sat on side the road waiting for Jesus to pass him by. Just waiting for Jesus to pass him by. So that his moment of supernatural impartation of faith would just, at that moment, Jesus comes and, and walks by. And I'm not talking about just the everyday, putting on your boots and walking out your house and I'm saved and I'm, I'm going to walk in holiness and in the power of the Lord. I'm, now I've transitioned over just for the closing today is when you really got to hold on and believe for something that doesn't seem to just like just appear for whatever reason. He tells this story of this, this crippled lady. And this is Charles Price was a healing teacher, evangelist back in the early 1900s. And he's one of these men who've seen thousands of people come into meetings and believing God for healing and believing God for miracles in their life. And he tells this long story of this lady who come in 
cripple. And he says she was the most crippled lady he'd ever seen. Most crippled lady. She was brought in by her husband. She couldn't even sit properly. She just sort of leaned there at the altar. She'd have to scoot around with her hands. And how on the very first time that she was brought to one of his meetings, that she said to him and she even begged him, heal me, heal me, I need you to heal me. And Dr. Price goes on to say, well, there's, there's three things I knew the very first time that I laid my eyes on that lady. He says, the first thing I knew was that she currently didn't have the faith to be healed. He said, the second thing I knew, I didn't have the faith to heal her. But he said, the third thing that I knew immediately, that Jesus had the faith that they both needed for her to be healed. And he goes on to say that story, tells that story, how that woman came again and again and again. Her husband, who stayed with her faithfully for 10 years in this state of crippledness, brought her time and time and time and time and time and time and time again until they remembered that one, that one service where something, something was just different. Something, something was different. Remember, we've transitioned right now. We've transitioned into not just that, that faith that we're utilizing every day to live for Jesus, but when we're trying to believe for something that's life-transforming for ourselves, for our family, for somebody in our life. He says something is different about today. And he looked over to the, to the pastor of the church where he was at, and he said, he said, Pastor, today we're going to see the glory of the Lord. And he said, I don't know why, I don't know how, but I just knew that something was different. And he said, that was the night that faith just rose up in that woman's life. And that woman went on from those years, those years of crippledness. That woman went on to get up and to go on and begin to walk and live and lived a normal life from that time forward. Faith. That comes from Jesus. Sometimes we just have to tell ourselves when we're looking in the eyes of certain things in our life. I'm not talking about, you know, oh, I don't have faith. Well, I'm working and waiting for faith for that to rise up in my heart. And just because you tell yourself time and time again, I can do it, I can believe it, I'm going to do it, Jesus. Just because we try to take that thing from the impartation of Christ's faith into our life. Take that thing and put it into a matter of the mind and, and just repeating or saying or bringing that thing. No, we have to wait for Jesus to just pass by. Jesus to pass by. Is he a healer? Absolutely. Does he want to heal every single person, every one of us? Absolutely. Why doesn't it always happen in the timing that we want? Pretend like you're going to ask him that one day in eternity. I don't think you're going to. You're going to be like, oh, just worshiping him. But here on this earth, we're just waiting. It's the weight of faith. It's the weight waiting for the glory of God. Why? So that he can get the glory. So that he can get all the glory. That lady goes on to write a pages long letter to Dr. Price later on in her life, years later. And just I'll just try to just summarize it in my own words. She said, Dr. Price, as you can know, in the physical, you can see the work that the Lord had done in my life. He says, what is, she said, what is not as obvious as what the Lord did to my physical body, he, she said, is what happened in my heart Amen. and what happened in my life. She says, the reality of it, Dr. Price, was that, that I wasn't, wasn't really living for the Lord. She says, I wasn't really living for the Lord all those, all those years. And she said, I can't take credit for it because even at the altar, I wasn't, really, I wasn't really fully committed to the Lord. But she said the work that took place, not only did he physically heal and change my life forever, but she says, Dr. Price, 
I am so completely in love with Jesus from that day. And there's never been a day where I have not swayed away from the love of Jesus. And she talks about the physical work in the spiritual work of what the Lord wrought forth in her life. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Let's go ahead and bring the communion items out. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Just open up your heart. Open up your hearts. Every time we bring the table of the Lord before us, every time we bring the table of the Lord before us, this is an act of faith for the people of God. It's the people of God just proclaiming, proclaiming the return of Christ. It's the people of God proclaiming that we will live by faith and not by sight, that we will live a set-apart life, that we will not walk two different worlds, that we will not walk with one foot in and one foot out. It's a commitment of the people of God. It's a humbling. It's, a, it's an act of acknowledgement and repentance, just coming before the Lord, and it's saying, God, let your perfect work have its way in my life. So just lift your hands before the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Ooh, your presence, Lord, your sweet, sweet anointing in this place, Jesus. We don't take your anointing for granted, Lord. The presence of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you. Can you sense his presence? Ooh, just Holy Spirit, I pray that faith would just rise up, Lord. The impartation, supernatural gift of grace and faith would just rise up in the hearts of your people today, Lord, as you impart into our lives, as you increase in our lives, Lord. And Jesus, we just ask you, be glorified and be magnified in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and come and have a, get the cup and the bread. In Jesus' name, hallelujah.